This week at Hope Point. And Paul writes to the new believers facing persecution, I want you to know your position. You don't belong to that world anymore. Now you belong to this one. You haven't been orphaned. You joined a body of believers in multiple places. You're the building that God is raising up a holy temple in the Lord. You are the bride that Christ died to possess. You are loved. A new believer, no matter what comes your way, the circumstances of life, the laughter, the criticism, the temptations, you remember who you are in Christ. We're so glad to have you join us for today's message. We pray that it would challenge and encourage you to applaud God, follow Christ, and live on mission. Good morning, church. It is wonderful to be back with you again. I'm sorry for the circumstances that brought me here, but nonetheless, I am glad to be with you and join you in prayer for your pastor, Richard. Today is a special day in the life of the church, I understand. Richard told me there will be five baptisms this afternoon. That is a glory to any church, and we just rejoice with you. And I thought I would uh, bring your attention to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and I wanted to direct my comments not only to you but to the new believers in particular, because 1 Thessalonians is perhaps the best textbook on discipleship in all the New Testament. It is perhaps the earliest of the writings of Paul. He visited Thessalonica over a period of four weeks, and then he was driven out by persecution, leaving behind a fledgling church. During the course of the four weeks, Paul grounded them in the gospel, but then had to flee. These believers are now suffering persecution for their faith, and they are wondering, has Paul forsaken us? Has everything that Paul said, was it true? And Paul is writing back, the only thing he can do, writing back to encourage them and to hold their hands high as they proclaim the gospel in the region of Thessalonica. There are at least three reasons Paul is writing this epistle. Number one, he is writing to confirm young converts in the elementary truth of the gospel. Church, it is your responsibility, your responsibility to confirm these who will be baptized in the elementary truth of the doctrines of Christ. Paul is writing to confirm them. Number two, he's writing to condition them to go on holy living in the midst of a culture that was anti-God. One of the greatest shocks to Jeannie and I as we returned after so many years on the mission field was to find a cultural change in America. And not for the better. Persecution is coming to America. Christians are no longer lauded for their faith. They are now often ridiculed. And so it will be even for new believers. How do you stand in a culture that is anti-God? 
Paul is writing to these new believers who came out of a pagan environment that was hopeless and helpless. When you approached the gates of Thessalonica, there was a sign over the bridge that read, after death, no reviving, after the grave, no living again. And into that environment came the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it shook things up to the point Paul was driven out of town. But he left behind a church. And Paul is writing to encourage them. So number three, Paul is writing to comfort the believers regarding the coming of Jesus Christ. In 2 Thessalonians, the believers are wondering, has Jesus forgotten about us? Has he come and we've been left behind? And Paul is writing to them in every chapter of 1 Thessalonians, reminding them Jesus is coming again. What a great book. Now, I just want to pick out the first four verses, but let me just give you this general thought. In verses 1 to 4, Paul greets the believers. In verses 5 to 10, Paul grounds the believers, and he gives five characteristics of a Christian. Our focus this morning will be on verses 1 to 4, Paul greets the believers. Now, verse 1 opens this way, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. You will remember them if you have read through the New Testament. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Paul and Silvanus, or Silas, were imprisoned in Philippi in Acts chapter 16 for preaching the gospel, for driving a demon out of a young girl, for causing a riot in the land. And there they are beaten and accused of things that were not true. Persecution had come to them to the point they are driven out of the city. The writer of the Hebrews in chapter 13 says, By the way, Timothy, our brother, has been released from prison. These three men are writing to the new believers in Thessalonica who are suffering persecution for their faith. They have turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, even Jesus who delivers from the wrath to come. Their faith is perhaps shaken, at least Paul thinks it is. New believers are often vulnerable. Church, this is why you must disciple these new believers. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. Jesus said, I want you to make disciples through the preaching of the gospel. I want you to mark them by means of baptism, and I want you to mold them into the image of Christ. That is what we are told to do. Today is a day of celebration for new believers. They will be baptized identifying with Christ. In the Western world, it's sort of an afterthought. It's just something that we do in the church. But where I lived, it's a red line. 
You can profess, okay, Jesus is, is I, I, can, I can add him to my Buddhism or my Hinduism or my animism. But to be baptized, oh no, we can't do that. The pagan world understands the meaning of baptism more than the church does. It's a line in the sand. It is a red line which you as new believers have crossed saying, I have become a follower of Jesus. To them, Paul is writing. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Why is that so important? Because these three men have been in prison. They've been persecuted for their faith. They understand what persecution is, and they understand how to survive in the midst of that circumstance. Can you imagine getting a letter from Paul? I can almost see it. Oh, oh, I just, I got a letter from Paul and Silas and Timothy. Oh, oh, come, come, let's read it together. I want you to hear the words. Oh, thank God for the encouragement. This isn't a lifeless letter. This is a full of meaning and intense passion. Paul is so fearful. What has become of the new church, of the new believers? Have they been left orphaned? How are they faring under persecution? Paul says, I want to encourage them. And so he writes with affection. Affection. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, why are they writing? They have many things to do, many places to go, preaching the gospel here and discipling there. But he takes the time to write because he loves these new believers. They're in his heart. Paul says, I've got to write to them to encourage them. And he does, and he writes with affection and passion. In chapter 2, he writes to the believers and he says to them, I'm like a nursing mother. I'm like a loving father. That's who I am. That's how I want you to see me. I want to encourage you in the faith. His affection. Now Paul writes this, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to circle the little word in because it identifies their position. Paul is writing to them about their position. When they maybe think they've been abandoned, Paul is writing to them about their position. It is in Christ. And perhaps in Paul's mind, he is thinking what he would later write to the Ephesian church. From a distance, Paul is thinking about this group of believers. And he's thinking about the fact that they are the body of Christ. When I married my dear sweet wife, when the ceremony was concluded, my father-in-law came over and shook my hand and said, Welcome to the family, son. What did that mean? I'm not an outsider anymore. Now I'm on the inner sanctum. I stand together with the family. I'm one of them. Paul is writing to the believers about their 
position and he writes with great affection and he says they are the body of Christ. New believers, you are part of a great body that sweeps the world. Jeannie and I have traveled in over 70 countries of the world. We've sat with believers in all kinds of places. At a home in Egypt, beneath a jungle canopy in Bolivia, on a plateau in Papua New Guinea, in a coffee shop in Germany, in a restaurant in Vietnam, on the mountains in Myanmar, beach in Bali, Communist Party campus in southern China, church building in Malaysia, kindergarten in Laos, all of these places where the gospel is gone. And God has been calling men and women, boys and girls to himself. God is building the body of Christ. And wherever you travel in the world, you find the body of Christ. This is how he manifests his mercy to the world. We are his body. And new believer, you belong. Welcome to the family. And then Paul is thinking, as he's pondering these new believers, he's thinking, not only are they the body of Christ, but they are the building of God. He would write in Ephesians, the holy temple, the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And Peter would say, God is taking out from among the Gentiles a people for his name, and God is doing it all around the world, and he is doing it here in Spartanburg. I want you to hear the testimony I received from a Muslim convert in Indonesia. He writes, Dear Saya, teacher, our house started with two families from a study group. Over the course of the year, our house church formed. We grew to a total of eight families. We have truly faced quite a lot of challenges because we are viewed as promoting false religion. However, thanks to much prayer and advice from friends, we continue with great enthusiasm. Muslim converts. We rejoice because our house church continues to grow. Every month there is always someone new who is baptized and joins us every month. Because of that, we are developing study groups which we find are most effective. We also rejoice at the existence of a network among house churches in every district where we live. That way we can strengthen one another and learn together for everyone's experiences in their house churches. Thank you so much. God is working among the nations to take out a people for his name. God is building a building, and it is a building of faith. And God is doing a remarkable work in the world today. Did you know that more Muslims have come to Christ in the last 40 years than in the previous 1,400 years? God is at work. 
And God is sending missionaries from countries to which we sent missionaries many long years ago. Korea, Nigeria, Brazil, the Philippines, China, all these countries now sending missionaries because you sent missionaries to them. And Paul is writing and saying, not only are you the body of Christ, but you're, you're the building of God. God is raising a holy temple onto his glory, and now you are part. Welcome. A body, a building. But Paul just couldn't close his thoughts, I think, because in Ephesians chapter 5, he writes a third word, a bride. Oh, when you think of a bride, I think of the day I was married. I can remember standing in the front of the church sanctuary, and the songs began to play, and I looked, and there she came, all adorned in her glory. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, what did I do to deserve this? I found out later nothing. <laughs> it was all grace. A wedding, a bride, conjures thoughts of belonging, intimacy of protection, especially of love. Jeannie and I were invited to a kachin wedding some years ago, a tribal group in the northern spheres of Myanmar. Never been to one. Because I love the study of culture, I like to understand how people view the world. What lens do they do, uh, do they look through to understand what is happening? And a missionary must understand the culture of the people to whom God has sent them. So we went to the wedding. Oh, it was amazing. They were all decked out in their tribal garb. People are all milling around, waiting for the thing to begin. And suddenly the old mountain instruments began to play. And here comes the groom. And with a rope he is leading a water buffalo. You haven't ever done that? He's leading a water buffalo. As he gets to the front, he stands there with his rope holding the buffalo. And then here comes the bride. And she walks in and she stands just beside her husband-to-be. And someone comes and hands her a package. It's a sword or a spear. And I'm wondering, what? This is the significance of all of this. You see, a water buffalo in that culture could cost you a thousand U.S. dollars when your average income for the course of a year is less than 200. How can you afford a buffalo? And by bringing the buffalo in, which he now hands off the rope to his bride-to-be, and she hands it off to her father, by handing the buffalo, he is signifying the great 
expense it cost him to win his bride. The sacrifice he has made for the woman he loves. And the woman hands the spear or the sword to the groom, signifying, I trust you in all. I trust you to protect me and our family, to care for me in sickness and in health. I trust you for my life. And as I sat looking at a pagan cultural wedding, I thought to myself, what a picture. On this side stands our Lord Jesus Christ at the great wedding of the Lamb. And there he holds maybe the jar with the precious blood that was shed for our sin. And here we stand and we hand him our life and our trust and all that we are. And Paul writes to the new believers facing persecution, I want you to know your position. You don't belong to that world anymore. Now you belong to this one. You haven't been orphaned. You joined a body of believers in multiple places. You're the building that God is raising up a holy temple in the Lord. You are the bride that Christ died to possess. You are loved. A new believer, no matter what comes your way, the circumstances of life, the laughter, the criticism, the temptations, you remember who you are in Christ. A number of years ago, Jeannie and I were involved in a Laotian mission in Spartanburg. We've been gone for, from that mission for almost 30 years. A few weeks ago, I met a young Laotian lady by the name of Sandy. And as she began to tell her story, it all unraveled. Sandy was one of the young girls who came to our Sunday school every Sunday afternoon at the Lao Mission. And Sandy testified to me, she said, I made a lot of mistakes as I grew older, a lot of mistakes. But every time I kept remembering that Bible verse you made us memorize, John 3.16. And one day I understood its meaning and I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Now I belong to the church. Not an orphan anymore. Now I belong to the company of God. Paul writes to encourage believers, new believers, under the extremity of their circumstances to remind them of their position. But with the position also comes some possessions. Look at what he says. Grace to you and peace. Did you know that grace brings peace? Did you know that Peace with God brings salvation and the peace of God 
encourages sanctification. The peace of God covers our sin. And the peace, peace of God covers our circumstances. When I was a college student, 19 years old, I was driving home to my dorm one Sunday night and I passed a little building, a little Baptist church. I wonder what they do in there. I didn't know. I wasn't a believer. Didn't know. I wandered in, right in the middle of a revival. I can still remember the pastor, Al Lacey, all the way from Florida. He started preaching about God and about sin, about man and about salvation, about heaven and about hell. And I leaned forward in my seat every night. I never heard anything like that in all my days. And as he's preaching his warning against hell, and I felt like he had me hanging over the fire by a thread and threatening to drop me. At the end of the week, when the altar call was given, I rushed to the front and said, I want to claim Jesus as my Savior. I was baptized, and they began to disciple me. Over 50 years ago, and God has been kind to us all through those years. We have a possession, you see. The position gives us a possession. It is grace and peace. When we were held at gunpoint in the mountains of Myanmar, it was the peace of God that helped us through. When Jeannie was diagnosed with cancer, it was the peace of God that helped us through. When my evangelists were arrested and placed in hard labor prison camp, it was the peace of God that got us through. And Paul is saying to the new believers, you have a position, you are in Christ, but you also have a possession. The unmerited favor of God that brings peace. Paul writes with affection. Verses two and three, Paul writes with appreciation. Look at what he says. We give thanks to God for all of you. We do, not just me, we do. The three of us, we do, we give, a, we give thanks to God. Ooh, we give thanks to God remembering, remembering. And then he writes, your work produced by faith, we remember that. Your labor prompted by love, we see that. Your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus, oh yes, past, present, and future. Paul writes with appreciation. You aren't floundering. You're not running scared. You are active in the gospel. You are holding true to your faith. Appreciation. You know the importance of appreciating each other? The importance of saying, thank you for that, brother. I see God at work in your life. God has given you a gift, and it has encouraged me. One of the things Jeannie and I did overseas 
was to go and visit our personnel in various places. On our agenda was to visit a family way out. Two flights, a boat ride, and a 10-hour car ride to get to them. We went just to encourage them to see how they're doing. Can we help you in any way? We got there and we were greeted. They showed us around for two or three days. We had a wonderful time. We left, went on to our next destination. That afternoon, we received a letter, an email. The wife writing to my wife. You didn't know. But we had already written a letter of resignation to go back home. We were so discouraged in the work. But since you were coming, we had to at least stay that long. But she said, you came. And you encouraged us in the Lord and you strengthened us in our inner man. And you prayed with us. And you had words of help and blessing. Just want you to know, you changed the trajectory of the next several years for us. We will stay to do the work of God here. You never know what God is doing, and you might never know who it is you're encouraging. But a simple word of appreciation for a fellow brother and sister, and especially a new believer, can mean everything. Paul writes with appreciation. He says, you know your family? I'm writing because your family, our God and Father. He says, ours, not mine, ours. I'm writing to you because you're your family and I'm also writing to you because you have been proven faithful. And now Paul develops a trinity of the Christian life that he repeats in 1 Corinthians 13 and in Colossians chapter 1, the work of faith, the labor of love, the steadfastness of hope. And Paul says we have observed these wonderful things in you. The work of faith. The crowd came to Jesus one day and said, what must we do to do the works of God? And Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. The work of faith is an act based on the word of God. When Abel brought the blood sacrifice, he was recognizing what God said and affirming it. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. When the Israelites in the wilderness looked up at the brass serpent in the wilderness and believed God when he said you'll be healed when you look, they acted in faith. New believers, when you trusted Jesus, it was a work of faith. When you called upon the name of the Lord, it was a work of faith. And it is now in your past. I was talking with a printer in one of our Asian cities one day, a believer who had come out of Buddhism. 
And I asked him, I said, how did you become a believer? How did you leave your culture behind? How did you leave Buddhism behind? How did you stand when your family rejected you? Why did you become a Christian? And his response was this, very simple. When I heard that Jesus rose again from the dead never to die or suffer again, I determined it's better to follow a living man than a dead one. So I asked Jesus to become my Savior. Pretty simple. Work of faith. Verse 9 says, How you turned to God from idols. That's the work of faith. You new believers have turned to God from the affairs and the sin of your life to trust Him as Savior and Lord. And your baptism will show that you mean it. They're family. They're faithful. We used to travel around with a video of creation to Christ that we would show in villages. One day we came to a village, asked if we could show it to a family, and they invited us in. We set up a white sheet, and with the hand crank machine, we're showing God's story video. They were quiet through the whole thing. When we were done, we asked the husband what he thought, and he said, you come back again. So we did. Several days later, we came back to that place. He invited us in again, got out the sheet, crank machine, and we played the video over. When we were done, without a word, he goes up to the front of the altar in his house, he collects all the idols and all of the incense, carries them outside and throws them out into the jungle, comes back in and said, I will follow Jesus. That's a work of faith. The old is behind us, the past is gone. Today, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Labor of love. Did you know that love will labor? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. William Young was one of our missionaries. He traveled to a far village to share the gospel with people and they, were, they rejected him. On his way out, he noticed someone laying down there by the side of the road. He walked over and found a young woman. He thought she was dead, but she turned out to be alive. He looked her over and found her leg greatly swollen infected by a cut of some sort. William Young got down and touched her and said, may I, may I help you? She responded, yes. With his own lips, he sucked the pus from the wound on her leg and stayed with her for four or five days until she was able to return to the village. Labor of love. And because he did, the village, seeing his love, said, come and tell us the story. We want to know why you would do what you did. Your labor of love doesn't go unnoticed. A new believer, God has opened doors for you, and a great and vast labor of love stands in front of you. Number three is the steadfast of hope. Everything Luther said, everything that is done in the world is done by hope. 
into an atmosphere with a sign that read, after death no reviving and after the grave no living again, came a message of living hope. And it's real. And it's vibrant and it's alive. And Paul says to the new believers, cling to these things and follow the one who loved you and gave himself to you. A greater sacrifice than any buffalo could ever be. And remember not only your position, but remember your possessions. And God will help see you through. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.